Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. A love that lasts. <clears throat> How many of you remember your first love? You remember it? They called it puppy love. Then Donny Osmond came out with that song. You know, because <clears throat> it didn't feel like puppy love, did it? But it didn't last. Most of now, you may be married to the first person that you came, you know, and if that, if that happened to you, that's great because you found a love that lasts. But, you know, how many of you, you better not raise your hand on this. Let me just make this statement. How many of you kissed a few lips before you found the lips that you locked onto? You know what I'm talking about? It's it, it, a, a love that lasts. So if you have uh, your Bibles, I want you to get them ready how many of you have your Bible? Just hold it up. If, now, if you're using your phone for your Bible, just hold your phone up. I, I hold it up. Hold the phone up so I can see it. I want to make sure you're not playing crush or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's important to keep the word with you. I want to talk to you today about a story of two brothers. Their names are Jacob and Esau. They come into the world a little unusual. Rebecca hasn't been able to have any children. I think that she'd been something like 19 years barren, no children. And Isaac prays for her to have children and she conceives. And when she does, she feels something in her, something that, now this is before there were sonograms. Ultrasound, I'm sorry, I don't even know what they're called. So th this was before you could go in and get some jelly put on your belly and, and find, out, find out, you know, whether it's a boy or a girl, okay? This is, but she feels something going on inside of her that doesn't quite feel right. And the Lord speaks to her and he tells her, now think about this, he tells her that there are two children in her. Now, there's no way that she can know this other than God telling her that. He said, and they're struggling inside because there are two nations in you. And he says, and the older shall serve the younger. That's usually not a good recipe for family relations. When all of a sudden, the young, you remember what happened to Joseph when he started having dreams? One thing I learned from Joseph's, Joseph is keep your dreams to yourself and let God bring it to pass. Just let God bring it to pass. And so they, they 
you know, they, they come into the world and their names reveal a lot about their character. She names the first son to come out as hairy like an animal and, and, and she names him Esau. The name Esau, the, the literal meaning of the name means handling rough. And so what we learn from Esau, that his name seems to imply that he will handle things in a rough manner. That he's not going to be a person of finesse. That he's going to be a take charge type of guy that wants to get the job done and he gets it done any way he thinks he can do it. As a matter of fact, this, this handling things rough kind of shows up in an encounter that the two boys will have. Esau grows up to be a hunter. That's, that's kind of sounds like somebody that might be rough. You know, he's going out there and he's got his 30-06. I'm sorry, he's got his bow and arrow or whatever it was. It wasn't a Winchester yet, folks. And he goes out and he's hunting and, and he, he's a take charge type of guy. He's, he, he conquers the prey, he kills the prey, and he eats the prey. Jacob, on the other hand, is a tender of sh uh, sheep. He, he takes care of flocks. He, he knows the ground. He cultivates the ground. And so Esau's been out and he's been hunting and it's been a bust. He hasn't gotten anything. He comes into camp and when he comes in, he finds Jacob. His, how many of you have ever walked into the house and didn't know what was cooking, but it smelled so good you just wanted some of it? You know what I'm talking about? You walk in and you go, oh, wow. Now, there have been a few times, you know, when I was cooking, people walked in and went, oh, wow. <laughs> but they, th this, was, this, this appealed to the senses and, and Esau smells it and, and he, he says, oh, man, give me, give me some of that, 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 that pottage. Give me some of that red pottage. And that's how he gets his name. They call him Edom. That's what he becomes known by, the children of Edom, and it's all over that pot of soup he wants so bad. Red pottage. And so he goes, he says, give me some of that, and Jacob looks at him and says, well, I'll be glad to give you some of my soup, and all you've got to do is sell me your birthright. Now watch what Esau does. Esau doesn't argue with him. Esau doesn't even look at him and, and say, I can't believe that you're asking me for that birthright. How dare you ask me for that? He doesn't do that at all. What he does is he says, well, what good is this birthright going to do me? I'm, up to, I'm about to starve to death here, so give it to me right now. I don't care anything about this. And he sells his birthright and then he despises it. Oftentimes we end up despising things that we should have valued but didn't value. Esau is well aware of what that birthright means. In his day, look later when you get to the book of Deuteronomy and you're into Moses and, and the law comes into effect, you're going to discover that the birthright entails you to a double portion of the inheritance. That's not the case here. That hasn't been established yet. For the patriarchs, what the birthright meant was headship. 
It meant lordship of the family, that you were the one that had rule, not just over your immediate family, but you literally had authority over your brothers. And the promise of Abraham was passed to you, which included the possession of Canaan and the covenant relationship with Jehovah. And he gave it all up. (laughs) He doesn't even consider it. He he doesn't value it for him. A moment of pleasure now was more important than spiritual blessing in the future. Let me explain something to you. Esau could have killed a goat or a sheep. His daddy had all kinds of them. But he doesn't. He wants it right now. He couldn't wait. He wanted it right now. Let me leave for your consideration that we live in a culture that seeks self-gratification instead of God. We live in a time where people want it right now and they're not willing to wait because God might have something better for you. Sometimes we sacrifice that that's dear to us to experience a moment of self-indulgence now. Man, they make millions and untold, probably billions of dollars off of diets. I've invested in a few of them. What are you talking about? You know, you, you work out, you, oh, I got... Now I can have that candy bar. <laughs> Come on, man. You know you're there. We go, we, we calculate how many calories something is, and then we'll go work it out and so we can go in. And I've been doing great, folks, until yesterday. And I stopped by Walmart. I'm sorry, until Friday. It was Friday. I stopped by Walmart. My wife wasn't with me, so there was nobody to tell me I shouldn't do it. And they set me up. I had my stuff. I was in the counter. I was ready to go. And somebody put a big fat bag of M&M with peanuts right in that counter. And I looked at it and I said, no. I picked up the payday instead. True story. But then I, I, got, I got a hold of myself and I put the payday back and grabbed the M&Ms. <laughs> for a moment, for a moment, you know, but I, I, I convinced myself it's okay because I've just been to the gym. <laughs> I ran for an hour and a half for a bag of peanuts. <laughs> and isn't that what we do sometimes? Sometimes we just, we, we, you know, we, we, we throw it all in for a moment. The writer of Hebrews tries to warn us about that type of spirit when he tells us in Hebrews 12 and 16, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. Wow. How many of you ever bought something and then wish you hadn't paid, wish you hadn't bought it? How many of you ever bought something and found out you got ripped off? You know what I'm talking about? This guy showed up at my door. I was just a teenager, showed up at my door with a Kirby vacuum cleaner. Hey, this was no ordinary vacuum cleaner. 
you could saw two by fours with this. You think I'm making this up. I, this is a true story. You could, it had an attachment that you could hook up to the vacuum and cut a two by four with. I thought, wow, what a vacuum cleaner. I could spray paint my house. It had an attachment where you could spray paint your house. I was 18 years old and this was only, I was either 18 or 19, and this thing was only 13 or 14 or $1,500. I signed my name on the line. Now, I wasn't a complete idiot. I knew I had three days to void a contract by law. So after I signed my name, I called a Kirby dealer. I asked him, do you have this vacuum cleaner? He said, yeah, I've got one. I said, how much is it? He said, well, I'm going to have it for $100. Did you ever have smoke roll out your ears? <laughs> but see, it was my fault. I'm the one that took the bait. I'm the one that signed on the dotted line. I'm telling you, don't act by impulse because you'll always be disappointed you did. Long story short, I avoided the contract and gave him his vacuum cleaner back. Now we have, there's more to that story, but I don't have time. <laughs> now we have the other son, his name is Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. When Jacob comes, his name reveals a lot about him. When Jacob came out, when in, in the, now think about this, this is pretty amazing. You gotta hand it to him. Rebecca is having them. Esau is being delivered. And as Esau's coming out, <laughs> this guy's hand reaches out and grabbed his brother by the heel. That's pretty impressive. At that age. <laughs> and they called him Jacob, which meant heel grabber. It also means supplanter. Everybody say supplanter. We always hear that word and sometimes we don't know the definition of that word. So let me enlighten you what supplanter means. A supplanter means to remove or replace by strategy. It means to overthrow and undermine. So instead of trusting God for his future, instead of Jacob hearing his mama tell him that God said that the younger that the older is going to serve you instead of Jacob going to God and saying God I don't know how you're going to do this but I know you're going to do it instead of that he formed his own strategy and undermined his brother by replacing him to receive the blessing Amen. what was Esau's response well remember Esau handles things pretty rough so when he found out that Jacob had got the blessing, Esau said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. How many of you have ever got into it with your brothers? Isn't it amazing, you know, how much you love him and how much sometimes you want to kill him? I never forget, you know, my brother Daryl, Daryl picked on me unmercifully. I was the youngest. He was six years older than I was. My whole life, he picked on me. I told him, I said, when I turn 16, I'm going to whip you. 
And so he, he pick, I mean, he, man, he'd pick me up by the head and shake me, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, he, he just, he, and, and so the time came, I was about, I, I guess I was probably about 17 at the time. And we got into another one of those arguments and Daryl jumped up and said, I thought you said when you're 16, you're going to whip me. So I jumped up and I said, let's go. He went down the hall. All of a sudden he came out. I'm walking down the hall after him. He came out with a pistol and shot me. God's truth. He held a pistol up. He shot the pistol. I grabbed my chest and fell into the wall. And Daryl almost passed out because he put blanks in the pistol. But when I grabbed my chest, he thought he'd messed up. And then we both ended up laughing and the fight was over because most of the time what we get into is pretty stupid anyway. And here Esau is so mad that he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. What's Jacob's response? He says, I'm running away. I'm leaving. And so these two brothers' actions result in with their family being torn apart and separated. When we give our heart to God, it's not so we can remain the same as we are. Amen. I always tell people, I said, Jesus loves you just like you are. If you're an alcoholic, he loves you. If, if you're a thief, he loves you. If, 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 I, I mean, if, if, whatever situation you're in, whatever you are, he loves you. But he loves you too much to leave you the way he finds you, so he changes you. <laughs> How many of you are glad for the change? <laughs> when I got saved, I had some of my best friends come up to me and they said, man, Rick, you've changed. I said, let me tell you why. <laughs> because something had happened in me. Something had transformed and it was real to me. Jacob runs. He ends up running to live with his uncle, Laban. And Laban's got two daughters, both of them unmarried. And he meets Rachel, and Rachel comes out, and man, she's a knockout. <laughs> I mean, the scripture said that Leah was tender-eyed or, you know, and depending on the commentators you read, some of them say that she was weak-eyed, and others say she had lovely eyes. So I don't know whether she was cross-eyed or whether she, you know, had eyes that were just, you know, you know, would captivate you. But what I do know is what it said about Rachel was that she was beautiful and well-favored. That word favored in Hebrew means she had a great figure. Literally, look it up. She was... <laughs> You know, Jacob did. <laughs> and Jacob goes to Laban, you know, and he's, he's there and they find out, you know, it's the old family reunion thing, you know, they, they, and, and he, but after the family's lived with you for about a month, you know. And so Jacob has been working for Laban and Jacob is a hard worker. And Jacob knows his work. He knows sheep. He knows ghosts. He knows how to care for them. And, and Laban starts looking at him. He thinks, man, I don't want to lose this guy. This guy is causing my flock to multiply. And so he looked at him and he said, look, just because you're my relative doesn't mean that you ought to work for me for nothing. That sounds really big of Laban. 
But the truth is, is Laban doesn't want to lose him. And he knows if he doesn't get a commitment from him, sooner or later this boy's going to cut out because he's, he's got to make it on his own. And so he looks, Laban looks at him and says, tell me, tell me what your wages will be. And it's like Jacob had been waiting for this moment. And Jacob speaks up and he says, I'll serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. And I'm thinking somebody should have taught this man the art of the deal. This guy, this guy just lays it out on the line. Why didn't you, why didn't you start out with a year and work your way up? It's because he is overwhelmed with love. Come on, you know you've been there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? When all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with love, man, you do stuff you never do before. The first time, man, when I met Debbie, I spoiled her rotten. Well, not rotten. I spoiled her good. I just, you know, I, I just met her. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I, I, I went and got her a fur coat. It was, it wasn't real fur. I got it at Walmart, but I got her, I got her a, a, a coat and I, I got her a, a little ring, a, a little, I got her a teddy bear and I got her all this stuff and she's going, oh, dad, he's got a new Jeep. <laughs> I just, you know, love, love, love. But don't you want a love that lasts? Amen. You see, when you find a love, th th this is what's neat to me. Because the Bible said that Jacob makes a statement, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel. And then right underneath it, it said, and those seven years seem like only a few days. Wow, how's that possible? Seven years could only seem like a few days because when you find a love that lasts, it causes your days to fly by and your heart's filled with joy because your focus is not on your labor, but on your love. Come here just a second. Do you ever fall in love to the point that you just, you know, you just wanted to dance the night away? Just... Oh, yes. You know, and we, oh, oh, hang on a second. We're, let me, thank you. Give her a hand, would you? She, I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I, I mean, it's not that Debbie probably couldn't do it, but I'm just, you know, I've got two left feet. I just want to, let me show you an illustration that shows you how you respond when you find a love that lasts. Go ahead. Everywhere that beauty goes, you are. Everywhere an orchid grows, you are. Everything that's young and gay, brighter than a holiday. Everywhere the angels play, you are. You're like Paris in April and May. You're New York on a silvery day. Swiss South as the sun grows fainter. Your lot loman when autumn is the painter. Your moonlight on a night in Capri. And Cape Cod looking out at the sea. You're all places that leave me breathless. And no wonder you're all the world to me.
She ever fall in love like that? I mean, man, love will make you do some strange things. Did you ever feel like you were dancing on the ceiling? I'm not talking about dancing with a lampshade on your head. That was caused by something else. But, but dancing on the ceiling, you felt like you were just as light as a feather. I remember I would, you know, when Debbie and I started dating, you know, we'd set up and talk till four o'clock in the morning. We were talking using lip language. And then I'd have to get up and go, I'd, I'd have to leave and then be in school, you know, the next day. But it was just, you know, just. Because that's a love that lasts. It's something you feel deep down inside of you and you can't really put it in words. You just have to express it. You're, you're not tired. You're, you know, you're energized. And that's why you set up all night kissing. Because you're in love and you feel like you could dance the night away until her parents say it's time for you to go away. The Bible said that seven years seemed but a few days. And when it expired, he went to Laban and he said, hey, it's time. Bring me my bride. I'm, I'm ready to get married. I fulfilled my agreement. You know, give me my wife. So Laban, he throws a big wedding, wedding feast and, you know, he gets, he invites all the neighbors in, you know, and they're celebrating and they're carrying on and Jacob's excited and he goes to his tent and, and the scripture said, and then after it got dark, at night, Laban takes and slips Leah in the tent instead of Rachel. And the next morning when Jacob wakes up, there's a hot time in the old town. <laughs> he wakes up and sees Leah next to him and he jumps out of that tent and starts Laban! Laban, what have you done to me? What? And, and he is madder than a hornet. And Laban looks at me and says, oh, oh, my dear, my dear brother, my, my you know, we, it, it's just that that's not our custom here. Here, the older daughter always gets married first. And so you fulfill your honeymoon week with Leah and I'll give you Rachel as well. Oh, 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 provided you work for me another seven years. <laughs> Do you think he might have been a little upset? Do you think that he may have been irate? <laughs> but I think it's unique what happens to Jacob. I want to remind you what Jacob's name means. Supplanter, hang on to these words. To remove, everybody say remove. Or replace, say replace. By strategy, say strategy. To overthrow and undermine. Can you imagine the conversation that Jacob has with Laban? when he's telling him off, I think it may have gone something like this, and I want you to listen for those words. You planned to overthrow my wedding, 
It was your strategy all along. You undermined me on my wedding night. You removed Rachel and replaced her with Leah. Odd, isn't it? That when you run from one mess, you end up running right into another. He ran away from Esau only to run into himself. Jacob experiences at the hand of Laban what Esau had experienced at the hand of Jacob. I want to say it again. Jacob experiences at the hand of Laban what Esau had experienced at the hand of Jacob. My point is that there hasn't been a change yet. Everybody say, I need a change. And I'm going to tell you that God will cause you to run smack dab into yourself to get you to change. Everybody say change. Isn't it odd that if you're having, you know, if, if you're having an issue with a sibling or a spouse or, or a friend, that it's always, they're the problem. You know, Kevin, if you just act right, I mean, if you just, I, and if you want to, I mean, I could give you a list of everything you're doing wrong. I could tell you, I'm trying to help you out here. But we don't see what we're doing wrong. Jacob hasn't understood that he didn't have to strategize God's plan for his life. He just needed to surrender to God's plan for his life. You don't have to try and make a door open. Just stand at the open door and say, God, I know that you're able. So what happens when our promise doesn't come the way that we thought it was going to? What happens when we discover the journey we're on is costing us more than we bargained for? Do we throw in the towel? Do we run away? It all depends on love. When you find a love that lasts, you quit running and start living. Instead of giving up, you get up. Jacob's response, does he... He didn't quit in a huff. He didn't say, forget it. I'm not going to serve you another day. You can keep both of your daughters. He doesn't do that because his love for Rachel is greater than his contempt for Laban. When you find a love that lasts, you won't let go. You say, well, what's that got to do with us? Go ahead and say it. I'm glad you asked. See, here's what it's got to do with us because my mind is thinking about another wedding day soon to come. It's found in Revelations 19 and 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. And his wife, everybody say, hey, that's me. (laughs) And his wife hath made herself ready. When you find a love that lasts, you'll do whatever it takes to be ready for the wedding. How many of you ladies remember your wedding day? Hold your hand up if you remember your wedding day. You remember what it was like that day? I'll tell you what, one of the the most unique wedding days I ever heard about was Richard and Sharon McGill. She's getting ready for her wedding day. She's out feeding the cows. 
or hauling hay. What was it? Hauling beans. She was out getting beans. There's such a bargain on this, Richard. I can't wait. No, the truth is, is her dad said, you, you can go to the wedding after you get those beans. He wasn't all that excited about it. But she was, and, and Richard's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I'll be there just as quick as I can. But typically, on a wedding day, the, the bride is trying to make sure she goes and she gets her hair done. I made sure I had mine done, you know. She, she goes in and she, she gets a manicure and she gets a pedicure. And, and then she has her bridesmaids all attending her, telling her how lovely she looks. Oh, you look wonderful. You look. But the, the, the groom can't see her yet. Why? Because she's getting ready for what he already has ready for her. You see, he's preparing a life for her. A life that she's never known. He's going to provide and care for her. Amen. So I leave for your consideration this morning that God's love is a love that lasts. Amen. And that what we need to be doing right now is getting ready for what he already has ready for us. Somebody say it with me, I'm getting ready. <laughs> you know, we sang that song, I'm getting ready to leave this world. Oh. I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, what kind of a song is that? It's like you're trying to cut and run. Hear me. He doesn't want us to get ready to leave this world. He wants us to get ready to be his ambassadors in this world and reach the lost for him. We've got to get our focus right. When you find a love that lasts, you won't give up. Paul, in his journey, he finds out that hard times are coming he, they keep prophesying to him that that's what's getting ready. He's getting ready to face hard times. And this is how he answers that in Acts 20 and verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What's Paul saying Paul's saying it doesn't matter what's ahead. It doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. It doesn't matter about the struggle ahead of me. There's one that struggled for me. There's one that apprehended me. He, he died so I could live. So I don't count my life dear to myself. I, I want to finish my course with joy. The scripture said concerning Jesus that he, he, he was willing to, he, you know, to endure the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him. What joy is there in the cross? It wasn't the cross. It was what was on the backside of the cross. It was you and I coming to know him. It was our freedom, our redemption, our deliverance. My friend, it was a love that lasts. That's what he gave us. That's what he did for us. You don't ever have to worry about Jesus running out on you. He's promised us 
in, in the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter, I believe it's the fifth verse, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to hang with you through thick and thin. When the good time, when there's good times, when there's bad times, I'm right there. I'm not leaving you. His love is a love that lasts. But what about yours? Don't just live the journey. Love the journey. Because of the one you're traveling with. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. How many of you are ready to give yourself to a love that lasts? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand in here for this, but I want you to answer this question. How many of you have ever had a love that disappoints? How many of you have experienced what you thought was a, a, you, you thought it was a love that lasts when you started into it and then all of a sudden it just went south and and you didn't understand what was going on and you got disillusioned and discontent and and you felt like well i'm i'm giving up on love maybe it's because we had the wrong look of what love is noah said it earlier when he was talking about that sometimes we misunderstand what love really is we, met, we, we mix up agape with eros. Agape is a love that just gives, regardless. Eros is a love that's stirred up by sensual. Oh, look, at, I, I've known some pretty girls that were really ugly. And I'm going to tell you that that's not the love I was looking for. Do you know when I dated Debbie, the first thing I did to check her, I mean, I'd already checked her out, you know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about to find out if this was a love that was going to last. I asked her to go to church with me. Well, she's a pastor's daughter. Of course she's going to go to church. Yeah, but I was watching to see how she would respond in church. I'll never forget, man, the presence of the Lord started moving and I had my eye on her and she got to, it's what we refer to as dancing in the spirit. If you've never heard that, it's about she got so excited and overcome by the presence of God, she just, got, and I watched that and I thought, uh-huh, <laughs> I'm asking that girl out again because <laughs> that's a love that lasts, that she, I knew that she wasn't concerned about what I was going to think about how she responded to him. Amen. You need to think about that, friend. You need to think about how people view your true love. I understand that I'm not Debbie's first love. I'm her second. It's because God is always number one. Amen. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You say, well, well, my pastor, but you and Debbie have got the perfect marriage. You've got, well, <laughs> once upon a time in a little hamlet called Morley, Missouri, a young married couple were in their first home that they were purchasing. There was an argument that ensued. Neither one remembers what the argument was about, 
but we both remembered what happened during the process of the argument. She locked me out of the house. <laughs> True story. I know you thought I walked on water. <laughs> and she was probably the one that was wrong since neither one of us can remember. I'll just, she's, she's gone right now because our, our son's having a baby. Well, not our son, but our, our, our daughter-in-law, we just got a call, so she's left. And so, that, but, so I can talk. <laughs> And she, she locked me out of the house, man. I drove around the house trying to find a window open. Nothing. I knocked on the door. You know, we were out in the country, but there was one house right next to us, and I was wishing they'd move away. So I'm not going to let me in. Let me in. She's in the back bedroom up in the bed. Laughing. Don't laugh when I'm mad. Laughing and all of a sudden I, I, I tried everything I knew to do to get in the house and, I, and you know and she's not and I, I thought man I, I watched John Wayne do this one time I walked up I put my foot against that door pow knocked that door off its hinges <laughs> went inside and Debbie was in the bed now man she is nervous you know and I walk in and she said she didn't know what I was going to do and I walked over and I grabbed her and I took her in my arms and I said nothing is ever going to come between us Amen. that's pretty good wasn't it <laughs> see this is what this is what I'm saying sometimes in the heat of a moment we lose our focus off of what really matters when I took her in my arm, were you, weren't you mad? Well, yeah, I was mad. She locked me out. I looked like a fool. I'd been running, I'd been driving around the house with my car. I don't know how I thought that was magically going to open a window. But when I went in and I took her in my arms, I realized, you know, this just isn't worth it. Uh, I'm going to tie this together, so hold it together. <laughs> You're not going to get through this life without having moments that you don't understand God. Amen. You're not going to go through life without having those times that you're thinking, God, I don't get this. Why is this happening? And at that moment, you've got to make a decision. Am I going to cut and run? I've seen people just give up on God. Well, God, if this is the way it's going to be, just forget it. And we forget that God so loved the world. Amen. That he didn't give his time. He didn't give a blessing. He didn't give a pat on the head. He gave his only begotten son to a rugged cross and watched him die. He could have stopped it, but he has a love that lasts. And Jesus took and took the thorns and took the, the spear and took the nails, not because he had to, but because he has a love that lasts. It reaches beyond our failure. It reaches beyond our problem. It reaches beyond our expectation. The Bible said that God showed his love toward us and that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Amen. 
Paul said it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, this isn't puppy love. Not what I feel for you. This, my friend, is a love that will last. Will you stand with me? You know what I found out? No matter where in the world you travel, people at their core are the same. Whether it was Russia or Guatemala or Belize or Trinidad or Honduras or Mexico, people want to be loved. But not word. They want to feel love. He showed his love for us. When I, I hear people make a statement, well, I just don't know if Jesus loves me. I pause and I think, you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you never wonder if he loved you. He's already demonstrated that. He's proven that. What more can he do? The scripture said that a man had no greater love than he'd laid down his life for a friend. And he laid his life down for us when we were sinners and calling for his death. Crucify him away with him. No one was cheering him that day. And he looked out over a crowd that had spit on him, had beat him, had abused him, and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. That's a love that lasts. Amen. Can I ask you a personal question? You don't need to answer it, but have you ever done anything stupid before? Sometimes I think that if you look up the word Webster's Dictionary, my picture would be next to Because sometimes they're just some stupid things. That's why you don't see me walk around acting like I'm better than you are. Because we're all cut from the same mold. Think about this. We've been created in the image of God. But how many times are we far away from reflecting that image? And it's not the image of Christ we reflect, but the image of Adam. So I was messed up. 
one man's sin made me a sinner. But one man's death, one man's obedience made me, now I'm not making this up, this is what the scripture said, made me the righteousness of God. You try and figure that one out. That when the devil's accusing that I can stand up and say, wait a minute, you need to take a look at who I am. It's on my birth certificate. Well, your mom and dad were Pauline and Delbert. No, no, I'm talking about my second birth. I got born again. I, I, I got, I've got a different blood that flows through my veins now. I'm, I'm like my father. I've become the righteousness of God. That's a love that lasts. That's a love that doesn't walk away when you mess up. It's a love that doesn't give up when you get up and run. Yes. It's a love that hunts you down and seeks you out. It's a love that Paul found on the way to Damascus when he said, who art thou, Lord? It's a love that 12 people found as they walked into that water today, saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here's the thing though, is sometimes if you're not careful, his love for you will never grow cold, but your love for him could. You have to fan the fire. That's why I still chase Debbie through the house. That's why we, honest to goodness, that's why when we started to remodel, we didn't close off one of the doorways because it would have gotten, it would have done away with the circle. <laughs> Chase your wife. It's better than chasing somebody else's. Do you understand? I want a love that lasts. And that's what I found in him. And that's what he gave me in my marriage. It's not because I'm perfect, I'm not. It's not because she's perfect and she'd tell you she's not. And we don't get together to find out which one of us is more perfect. We recognize that there's only one good and that's God. And we're just so thankful for what he's given us. So this is what I'm asking you. Do you want a love that lasts? And you say, well, pastor, I'm not even married or, 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 or I'm not talking about the traditional marriage between a husband and a wife. I'm talking about the marriage I read about in Revelation. He's coming for us. He's coming for us. And, and I want to make sure I'm ready for what he's already getting ready for me. How about you? If that's your desire today, then this is what I'd like you to do at the close of this service today. I, now look, we've got prayer rooms in the back and there'll be people back there after service is over if you need a, a more private setting to talk to someone and pray. We'll provide that for you. But every once in a while, it's just good for you to step up and say, I love him. It's good for you to step out of the shadows and say, I'm not ashamed of him. 
one of the things man let me tell you something I've never been a, guys got this thing well if I start living for God you know people will think I'm a sissy can I tell you I've never been accused of being a sissy before I live for God or since I started living for God I found out it takes a real man to serve God Anybody can do what the crowd, it doesn't take, look, it doesn't take any courage to run around with a crowd and do what they do. But I, I found myself at a crossroads one day when I got in a place I shouldn't have been in and everybody was popping tops and they were all acting a fool and we were, and they were out there and they were pushing one toward me. And I thought to myself, God, how did I get myself in this place? And I pushed it back and I said, come on, come on. I said, I don't like it. He said, well, you'll get used to it. I said, why should I try and get used to something I don't like? I said, I don't have to do that to be a man. I know I'm a man. I'm just saying that in our heart, we've got to quit associating love as something that's weak. Love is strong. Love endures. This love lasts forever. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf, that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you, and we do too.